0: Put that coffee down. Coffee is for creators only. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm inviting you to an exclusive accountability program that will help you set and achieve your creative goals. It costs nothing but your time and patience. Go to coffeeisforcreators.com to learn more. On this episode of Trumpet Dynamics...
1: As much as the memory of the sound they made is the memory of their faces when it clicked. And then the expressions.
0: That's a good list to be on.
1: It's a great list to be on. On my way out the door, I said, well, I better take this box of trumpets just in case I have to play something. So I get to this meeting place, and it's a church in Hollywood. And I hear all these other trumpet players warming up and playing excerpts. He and his buddies joined our dance band, and we turned into a real jazz band introduced me and some of the other white kids to a really much higher level of music.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is James Newcomb, and welcome to Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. And what an honor it is to bring on to the show today, Mr. Stanley Friedman. I asked Stanley how, sh- how I should introduce himself. Is he a trumpeter that composes, or is he a composer that plays trumpet? And he said, I am a former orchestral trumpet player. And he is now a very, very uh, well-esteemed composer. Uh, He has played in orchestras all over the world as a trumpet player, but now he, he composes. And so we are going to get to know Stanley and hear his story, hear what lights his fire, gets that heart beating just a little bit faster at the very thought of what he does. We're going to hear all about it in today's show. Welcome, sir. Nice to have you. It's nice to
1: be here. Thank you so much.
0: This is Stanley's first podcast ever.
1: It's my virgin voyage as a podcaster. We're popping
0: the cherry. I wasn't going
1: to say that, but go right ahead.
0: <laughs> well, we were both thinking it, so one of yeah. us had to say it. Every guest I have on the show, at least for the first time that i have meeting them, I always ask this because I just love to hear everyone's beginning story. Tell us about very first start on the trumpet? What made you interested in it from the get-go?
1: Well, I started the way I think most kids start uh, with a school band program. I was in the fifth grade, 10 years old in Memphis, Tennessee, which is my hometown. And uh, my best friend, Kenny, played the trumpet, and he got me interested in it. I came up through the public school band programs. Gradually, I got better. Along the way, especially towards high school, I started doing some arranging, and I was self-taught most of that time. It just I, I just tried to write things, and sometimes they turned out okay and sometimes not, but I learned from both experiences.
0: When did trumpet become like something serious? Because it's one thing to kind of play it and sort of enjoy it when you're eight or nine years old. I don't know, maybe 10 years old in the fifth grade or whatever it is. But it's quite another thing to want to do it past the very basics. What made you like, want to take it seriously to the next level?
1: I was very fired up about it the first couple of years when I was a little kid. It was a way of expressing myself uh, that was uh, a little more out there, out front, because I was a very introverted kid, and I mumbled and stumbled in my speech. The trumpet was a way of making a loud noise and presenting myself to the world in a sort of a clear, unambiguous way. My interest in it waned a bit, and then but by the time I was in ninth grade, I suddenly found myself first chair in the band, along with a, a couple of my other friends on horn and, and other instruments. It was like okay well now i've got a position of responsibility i'd better get serious about this so i became fired up all over again about it was practicing and really taking it very seriously and i think without pause then for the rest of my life i went to um, washington university in st louis i was not intended to be a music major in that university very fine university but it had no uh, only a vestigial music department and I discovered I missed, missed it so much. I did some playing, but I wanted to be in more of a musical community. So I came back to Memphis, to what was then called Memphis State University, to major in music, along with some of my old friends.
0: What did you miss the most about music in an academic setting?
1: I needed to be surrounded and immersed in music making. Hmm. Doing it now and then, even at a decent level, was not satisfying to me. I, I really needed the totally immersion experience of being a musician. So I threw myself into it. I uh, was a uh, performance major at Memphis State. This is in the early 70s, 1970s. But then I had saved up a lot of electives for my senior year. And I'd taken a little bit of composing, but not very seriously. My senior year at in university, college hired a new composition professor, Don Freund, who was fresh with a DMA from Eastman, and uh, he played a piano recital the first week of classes my senior year. I just stuck my head in the door just to see who this guy was. I was not intending to stick it out for the entire recital. I didn't go to piano recitals in those days. I was a trumpet player. I was captivated and astonished. He played mostly his own compositions, plus some Bach, My jaw dropped. I'd never heard stuff like this. And so I signed up for three different courses with Don Freund for my senior year. I became really a double major, even though the university didn't recognize him. And my composing took off, and he taught me so many new techniques and introduced me to so many new experiences. And after a few months, he asked me what I was going to do after graduating. I said, I don't know, maybe try to get a graduate assistantship in trumpet somewhere. He said, Why don't you go to Eastman? And major in composition, get a doctorate in composition. I said, Could I do that? He said, Sure, you'd be one of the best composers there. This was news to me. At I Eastman. Said, oh, at Eastman. And um, I was just a hometown boy in Memphis. I didn't know any better. Nobody had ever said anything to me. Uh anyway, I said, Well, you know, I'm kind of addicted to trumpet playing, and I don't <laughs> think I could play trumpet at a school like that. <laughs> and he said, Oh, sure you could. He said, you'd be one of the better trumpet players there, except for a guy named Zutty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, he was right about that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's one of the greats of all time.
1: He was one of the greats of all time then when he was 20 years old. And he's, he's still one of the greats. He's a good guy and a good friend.
0: You were quite a talented young lad. For someone of that stature to say that you'll be one of the better composers and one of the better trumpet players at one of the better schools in the country.
1: This was totally news to me. I got to tell you, all the time that I was growing up through high school and until I met Don Freund, I had gotten little or no feedback. I was under a vague impression that I was a pretty good musician. That was really it. I judged myself uh, according to what was immediately around me. I had no exposure to the big wide world of music, for better or worse. Sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, Freud was the per- first person of any real stature to say, you know, you got some talent, you can do things. I, there's a recording I have of my high school Central Memphis Central High School jazz band from 1969, and I'm playing lead trumpet and soloing on Doc's Holiday which is a big Sammy Nestico written for Doc, Doc Severance, and we recorded these things. I play them for people now, and they, they, they say, that's great, that's amazing. We were a world-class group. We just didn't know it. Nobody ever told us. I could have gone to a conservatory right out of high school or a major university with a big music department, Michigan or something like that, but nobody ever told me I could, so it never occurred to me.
0: How is it that you could be in a musical environment and you're not aware of The talent that you have. Why were you not discovered?
1: Let me set the stage for you. What was going on at that time? Because there were bigger things to think about than my individual abilities or disabilities as a trumpet player. This was at the height of the civil rights movement. Memphis had been a very segregated city, half black, half white. This is a good story, so bear with me. This is getting outside of myself a little bit, but it sets the stage. Central High School always had been the bastion of white middle-class society in Memphis. There was a whole parallel school system that was only African-American. The schools were ordered to integrate. And at first, they did it actually well. After resisting for many, many years, when they finally started integrating the school system, they actually did it well for a few years. And, and we we're going to do it progressively, gradually. get people used to it because society was extremely stratified among the first african-american kids who came to previously all-white central high school were a bunch of extremely talented brilliant young musicians led by james williams who passed away about 10 12 years ago but he became uh, one of the world's greatest jazz pianists Played with Art Blakey. He was with the Jazz Messengers when Wynton Marsalis was coming in. He became a professor at uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and he won the Downbeat Best Jazz Pianist poll several years running. James Williams was a big deal, and unfortunately, he passed away. So look him up, and you'll hear some things, recordings of him. He was just absolutely the best. So he and his buddies joined our previously Ricky tikki dance band and we turned into a real jazz band we had a great band director who nurtured this but he couldn't have done it by himself it was really james williams that, that made us what we were and introduced uh me and some of the other white kids to a really much higher level of music making now this was in jazz and i didn't do a whole lot of jazz afterwards although i could always play in a band i, I knew the styles it gradually evolved that I was a legit symphony trumpet player. That's okay. I learned really from James what some real music making was all about.
0: Okay. Um, Let's talk about Stanley Friedman, the trumpet player. You did go to Eastman, correct?
1: Right. I did a master's and a DMA in composition with what I consider to be a trumpet minor because I took lessons with Sidney Muir the whole time I was at Eastman, and I played an ensemble the whole time I was there. Effectively, I was a trumpet minor, uh, but a a composition major.
0: Trumpet minor, but you still played enough and you had enough uh, experience to do well for yourself, land a couple of gigs. Tell us about how that went.
1: At Eastman, as I said, I played in ensembles every semester, played in Eastman Philharmonia Orchestra. Sitting second trumpet to Chris Gecker, who's a pretty famous guy. I did a couple of gigs with Vazutti. I played in the uh, Music Nova New Music Ensemble, under Sidney Hodkinson's direction. That was one of the best experiences at Eastman, doing 20th century uh, music. There was no 21st century yet. <laughs> and um, uh, my first real job after graduating was teaching primarily trumpet at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. My primary duty was uh, being a trumpet teacher, but I also taught theory and orchestration and other composer-related things, not composition itself, and played in the faculty quintet. I played principal trumpet in the Winston-Salem, North Carolina Symphony and other, other, lots of other gigs, orchestral and otherwise, in the state. I did that for four years. It was a very nice place to live and a very good gig I had faced a choice. Uh, I could go through the tenure battle, and I'd done all the things they said I was supposed to do to get tenure, or I could branch out into the world. I was very young. I, I started that job at UNC Greensboro before my 25th birthday. I was very young. I was barely older than my students. I really felt like I needed to get out into the world because... I felt I was teaching things that I had not personally uh, experienced professionally, and I needed to get out and play those things and be a real professional musician. Uh, maybe then return to university teaching later. I decided not to submit to the tenure battle.
0: Do you say tenure or ten year
1: battle? A tenure <laughs> battle. I, I didn't. I didn't even go through it. I. I, I resigned. After four years, I moved to Los Angeles. There was a particular reason for that, for choosing LA. Um, Tom Stevens came to Eastman as a guest artist. Tom Stevens was a uh, principal trumpeter of the Los Angeles Philharmonic and one of the truly great trumpet artists ever. And a specialist in contemporary music. Let me backtrack just for a second. While I was still in Memphis with Don, studying with Don Freund, one day Don asked me what contemporary trumpet music I knew, and I didn't know any. <laughs> so he said, go to the music library and find some recordings. And I found this recording by this guy named Thomas Stevens. I'd never heard of him. He was young, still a young man then, mm-hmm. called the Contemporary Trumpet. This lp record and i put it on and it was another jaw-dropping experience because i heard stuff i couldn't have imagined before and i became a huge uh, tom stevens fan and my world of my horizons greatly expanded for trumpet playing and trumpet music which i carried through to eastman and composed my one hit tune <laughs> solace there while i was a graduate student
0: what's the name of the piece again
1: Solus, S-O-L-U-S. It's the tune I've written that most uh, the trumpet players most know. Uh, It's an unaccompanied piece. And I wrote it just for myself, and it's gradually taken off over the years. Uh, uh, So I moved to L.A. Tom was kind of my mentor. He mentored a a number of young trumpet players. He was an extraordinary musician, extraordinary person. Not always the easiest person to get along with. He he was a very unique character, very unusual man, but with a heart of gold. And he took me under his wing. He helped me work into doing a few studio movie TV recordings in L.A. and subbing with L.A. Philharmonic. Those were my best gigs while I lived in Los Angeles in the 1980s. And I freelance taught at a number of universities in the area.
0: You've had gigs around the world, I think, Hong Kong and New Zealand. How did those come right. about?
1: So I was living in Los Angeles. This would be 1983, freelancing. And I got this strange phone call from someone whose name I didn't get <laughs> saying, the conductor of the Hong Kong Philharmonic is in town and would like to meet you. Well, I barely knew where Hong Kong was, and I took it literally. It would like to meet me meet me what does that mean on my way out the door i said well i better take a box of trumpets just in case i have to play something so i get to this meeting place and it's a church in hollywood and i hear all these other trumpet players warming up and playing excerpts so i said oh this is an audition and i had no idea this was an audition but i was kind of in top form and i waited around they called me in and uh I was outside the church, I'd been outside the church buzzing, doing my James Stamp exercises. That was another thing. Thomas Stevens had introduced me to Jimmy Stamp, who taught me how to play the trumpet correctly. So I walked in and they, they said, okay, would you like to play a concerto? I said, sure, I'll play the Haydn. I had no music with me, nothing, just trumpet. So I played some of the Haydn and they said, okay, that's, that's nice let's go to the excerpts I said what excerpts <laughs> I said Did, didn't you get the uh, the list I said no I didn't know there was a list I said do you have any music they said uh, no we expecting you to bring your own I said well just tell me what you want to hear <laughs> so uh, they called out the tunes and I played them from memory as best I could and I was pretty pretty right they had a couple of things a couple of pieces of sheet music there and I guess I played okay because afterwards they came out and said, Congratulations, you're the new principal trumpet of the Hong Kong Philharmonic. Uh, can you start next week? And I said, no. Uh, I said, I got to think about this. Uh, I didn't even have a passport at the time. I'd never been outside the United States. So I talked over with a few people and Tom Stevens and everybody said, go. So I went. The orchestra helped me expedite a passport. And just a couple of weeks later, I found myself getting off a plane in Hong Kong and going right into rehearsals. It was insane. I mean, the, the whole experience there, which I played there just one season, but it was, it was pretty nuts. It was fun. It was traumatic. Uh, there were real highs and real lows, but I made some great friends there. Discovered that, yes, I could play principal trumpet in an orchestra.
0: So how did the conductor of this orchestra hear of you? I mean, that's a very unusual way to land a gig. I don't think I've ever heard a story quite like that before.
1: It turns out he wasn't actually the conductor of the orchestra. <laughs> uh, Varujan Kojin, who's passed away since then, he was the music director of the Utah Symphony, I believe. His brother, Miran Kojan was the concertmaster of Hong Kong. And Varujan was trying to get the music directorship of Hong Kong, and he was a regular guest conductor there. What had happened at, right at the beginning of their season, this is in September 1983, the first trumpet player had been on holiday, and he called the orchestra and said, I'm not coming back. The orchestra manager knew that the Kojons were in America, in Los Angeles area, happened to be there at the time, and they said, finally, trumpet player quit. They knew Thomas Stevens. Tom Stevens gave them a list of people to listen to. So I was on the list. I was on Tom's list, and I, they offered me the gig. So I went to Hong Kong.
0: Well, that's a good list to be on.
1: It's a great list to be on. As it happened, though, had Varujan Kojan become the music director, I would have stayed in Hong Kong probably and been there, maybe been there to this day, who knows. But the job went to somebody else who went to Kenneth Skirmerhorn, who had a buddy who played trumpet and needed a job. So when Skirmerhorn was hired, I was out. Okay, got
0: it. I want to know about getting the New Zealand gig. And then let's talk about transitioning from being like a full-time trumpet player to where you are now being a composer who plays trumpet on the side.
1: This was also through Tom Stevens because he had a buddy who had been principal trumpet player who wanted to get off the hot seat and they announced the job and Tom called me and said, you need to try out for this. I think this is the right gig for you. And it certainly was. So I did, I sent an audition tape. I was brought over a trial period and I won the job and I was there almost six years. And that was the best trumpet gig I ever had. And I have nothing but good things to say about the New Zealand Symphony and experience of living in New Zealand. As I'd said earlier, I had been a composition major in graduate school at Eastman. It was always my plan to make a living as a trumpet player and gradually over time build my portfolio as a composer. My trumpeting career went had highs and lows, and uh, it was hardly a, sm- a smooth ride. But All the time, was primarily a trumpet player. I was still composing. I occasionally got commissions, won a couple of prizes, gradually became a better composer and a more prolific composer and uh, built up a wider range of repertoire of music to the point that by the time I was in New Zealand in the late 1980s, early 1990s, I wrote an opera, Hypatia, because uh, I felt I was mature enough as a composer to tackle something really, really big. That was always the idea. And really, after uh, i written the opera and heard parts of it perform- or performed in New Zealand, I decided, yeah, it's going to be time very soon to let the trumpet take the back seat and to focus primarily on composing. I was seduced away from New Zealand by Zubin Mehta to come and play principal in the Israel Philharmonic which was not a good fit for me, but also my mind was conflicted because I was thinking more about composing, but also I was starting to have some lip problems. One of the reasons I left, I chose to leave New Zealand with deep regrets was that associate principal trumpet retired and the management didn't fill the job. And I, I had to do all day heavy lifting myself and it was too much. I guess my lip always had been slightly fragile, I could I could play the big big tunes. Yeah, I could get to the end of the Mahler symphonies in good good form, but I needed a, a little break. I had to be careful. Right, I certainly was never one of the great virtuosos. I was a good trumpet player for a few years. I was very good for a few years, but finally we it was a big blow in New Zealand. It's a big orchestra. We played heavy repertoire with some a few great conductors. At the end, after I'd already won the Israel Philharmonic job in 1992 and I was on my way there uh, my lip got injured it sort of recovered but not entirely and it gave me problems for the next number of years
0: hmm. do you mind sharing what type of injury
1: uh, I'm sure it was from just overuse from playing too much too loud as you have to do as a symphony major symphony principal one day in rehearsal I got a sharp sharp pain in my upper lip felt like a hypodermic needle going in there wow And I took a couple of days off and seemed to be okay. I moved to Israel with the stress of moving to a different country and other stresses involved in Israel that were just, it was a little crazy, great orchestra, but after tranquil New Zealand, uh, the constant upheaval of Israel was a little difficult to take, especially with a delicate lip. I was playing okay, but not my absolute best. After that one injury, my playing was not entirely recovered, and my tone had lost some of its color and vibrancy. Notes became a little more difficult to find. Uh, I kind of lost the feel on my lip of where each note slotted. I was playing a lot more from memory than from feel. That only goes so far. The Israel Philharmonic job did not work out. I played principal for a while with the second orchestra there the israel symphony orchestra which was also a very very good orchestra and they wanted me to stay but i said no i need a break so i came back to america and immediately began freelancing in memphis i would and just intended to visit for a few weeks visit mom and then go either back to los angeles or i had been offered a job in europe uh but then i met a young lady a clarinetist in the memphis symphony Rena Feller just celebrated our twenty-fifth anniversary. Our kids are grown and in college and so
0: Hence the website fellerfriedman.com. Got
1: it. Feller Friedman. So uh, Rena and I are happily married for all this time. She's a wonderful musician, clarinetist, uh Juilliard kind of person.
0: Well, if you all could see the video, this is an audio only show, but Stanley's face just lit up when he mentioned his wife. So that's that's lovely. Maybe we can talk a little bit about your compositions. Now, I, it's interesting that you said that you wrote an opera a couple hundred years ago. Opera was the mod- like what we think of the going to the the movies from what from what I understand. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, that was like the major entertainment of the day. You go to the opera. Now it's not so much. Now it's very. It's like a novelty. It has a very very niche type of demographic that is interested in it.
1: Yeah, that's too bad because it's great stuff, isn't it? I, I've taught some classes where I introduced college students to opera who had never been to the opera, seen opera before, and I've gotten a few converts because it it, it captures all of your senses. My opera, Hypatia, uh, was I was convinced it was going to take the world by storm, but I didn't know anything about the world of opera. <laughs> I still think it's a a good show. It it hasn't been fully produced yet.
0: What do you mean fully produced?
1: Fully staged with all the trimming. I see. I see. The performance in New Zealand at the International Festival of the Arts there in 92 was a concert performance of four large scenes. Now, this was with a full cast of principals, a chorus, and an, an orchestra. That was mostly the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra with a few other freelancers. So it was, it was an extremely good performance, but it was not staged. So I've never actually seen it.
0: Okay, so basically they just played the music.
1: Yeah, and the singer stood there and sang, yeah.
0: What's it like to hear something that you've written, and you've visualized it, played it on the piano, or whatever, whatever your process is, but you've written this, and then to hear it performed by... Virtuoso musicians. What is that like?
1: Unbelievable. I'll tell you a quick story going back Please. Uh, to 1978, I believe, 78, 79. This is when I still lived in North Carolina, but had that contact with Tom Stevens. He got me a commission to write a piece for Brass Septet, basically solo trumpet hymn, Tom Stevens, solo tuba, Roger Bobo, and a brass quintet. And we met in Dallas to record it with the Dallas Symphony Principles a stellar ensemble, to say the least. I didn't know what they expected of me. I gave them the notes, and I thought I was just going to sit back and listen, but they expected me to conduct it. Well, I'd taken conducting lessons, but I'd never conducted world-class musicians before. And so I started waving my arms, and things started happening. When they all opened up, and I heard them Really, play for the first time, playing my my notes. I was flabbergasted. I was taken to a different different realm. This is the thing about great musicians. Not only do they realize my music exactly as I intended it, it's better than I thought it could be because they put themselves into it. They do exactly what I wrote and then some. Sometimes a lot. It, it's all. It's always better.
0: What piece was this that that you're talking
1: it, about? Called Parody Three. It's a seven- eight-minute piece, P-A-R-O-D-I-E, Roman numeral, hash, hash, hash. It was recorded there in Dallas. Uh, it's never been released it's a terrific recording it's just a uh, pretty amazing piece in in terms of the way they 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 played it all sorts of special effects and things
0: how is it that you think that they connected it with it so well they're obviously very good but <laughs> but it's it's one thing to be great and play something with very very good but it's another thing to connect with it emotionally and it sounds like your description was they just it's like they just kind of connected with it it took
1: a few minutes because it's just it was a strange piece i did some there's some kind of non-traditional notation graphic notation in it and it took a little while for things to gel but when it gelled it was like bang bobo <laughs> the great tuba virtual so roger bobo he was skeptical at first he didn't like the the, the novel notation and he kept saying why why did you write why the hell did you write it like that but then it it started working for him and he got it and he became a good friend also a good, a great mentor and teacher to me. As much as the memory of the sound they made is the memory I have of their faces when it, when it really clicked. Like I said, it took a few minutes of rehearsing before it really clicked. And then the expressions went from skeptical and a little bit P.O.'d to, oh, I get it. This is Okay. <laughs> So that, that was a wonderful experience.
0: It's like playing Stravinsky. It takes a couple of times to appreciate it. Not that I'm comparing you to Stravinsky. It's just the same sensation. You don't get it at first.
1: Yeah. But when it happens, it happens. It's unmistakable.
0: You mentioned uh, this uh, Don Freund. He, he wrote these things and he performed them in his, in his own recital. Have you ever performed something on trumpet that you wrote? A concerto of, of any kind?
1: Oh, lots and lots of things. I I played unaccompanied piece solos on every recital I ever did for 20 years or whatever. And other pieces, I'm I'm retired from trumpet playing now. All all the lips have finally caught up with me. And I said, okay, enough is enough. uh, Several years ago. But my last recitals, I played my uh, Romantic Sonata, which is a big piece for trumpet and piano, 20-something-plus minutes long. I intended to write the piece that trumpet players don't have, which is a major romantic, could have been written in the mid-19th century sort of Mm -hmm. European piece. Mm -hmm. Of all the pieces of mine and other people's that I've ever played, this is my favorite piece to perform.
0: What was the title Uh, of the piece again?
1: It's called Sonata in F Minor, Romantic for Trumpet and Piano. Uh My music, by the way, is all either published by editions. BIM in Switzerland mm-hmm. or available for distribution by Subito Music in the United States. Subito has the Romantics, uh, the F minor sonata.
0: And would we find links to these on your website?
1: Yeah. Okay. If you go to fellerfriedman.com, Feller it has all this stuff. Okay.
0: Okay. Great. So the sonata in F minor, you wrote it in the style of a mid 19th century So would you say that it's something that maybe a. Uh, a Brahms would have written for violin, but he just didn't because Trumpet wasn't Trumpet wasn't that prominent back then.
1: Yeah, that was, that was sort of my vague role model was Brahms. Without claiming to write as well as Brahms, you would have done a better piece probably. That that was sort of the image I had in mind. I also was asked a couple of years later to write another romantic piece uh, by Tomislav Slojar in Croatia. Got a hold of that F minor sonata and, and liked it and wanted me to write another piece. So I wrote another romantic piece. Again, it's kind of bromsey ish for trumpet, cello, and piano in B minor, which actually is a pretty good key. C trumpet or D trumpet, but cello is like that key. I'm scheduled to do a show at the next Trumpet Guild Conference in San Antonio next May 22 of my Romantic Pieces. It, if it all comes together, we'll have performance by Kyle Millsap of my F minor sonata, Sloyar playing my trumpet cello sonata, and Phil Snedekor, famous trumpeter and, and arranger and, and composer. Performing my arrangements of Charlier etudes.
0: Arrangements of Charlier.
1: And, and various people have done accompaniment, piano accompaniments yes. f- of Charlier et- etudes. Yes. So I had done one of everybody's favorite, number two.
0: It's not my favorite. I hate that one.
1: Phil heard my recording of it and asked me to do some more. So I, I arranged uh, three more as, as a suite. And he did some really lovely video uh, demos of these during pandemic days that you people can find those on youtube uh and and anyway, he's going to perform these
0: well Stanley, I feel like we've just scratched the surface of your career as a trumpeter and as a composer, but uh sadly we're we've come up on the on the limits of our time together. I'm just been furiously writing notes, and I, I will have all the notes that I've been taking. On my website, jamesnewcombontrumpet dot com slash friedman f r i e d m a n. So that's jamesnewcombontrumpet dot com forward slash friedman. We learned about James Williams. Does this Don Freund? Does he have anything available online that we could listen to, or?
1: Lots and lots. He's okay. been professor or chair of the composition department at Indiana University. Okay, okay. For many, many years now, and very prolific composer, great pianist. There's lots of his stuff out there. He puts Wonderful. new stuff in all the
0: time. Well, we have those two, and then of course Tom Stevens, James Stamp. Hopefully, somebody listening to this, if they're looking for something to play in their next recital, maybe consider the Sonata in F Minor. That might be a welcome alternative to the Artunian. Please. <laughs> all right well i would love to hook up again sometime and and do a round two and and just dive a little deeper into some of these things but uh for now this was nice to get to know you a little bit and i I hope people listening in uh enjoyed it as well and if you did then send me a note or send uh, stanley a note and let us know what you thought send us your thoughts but um Thanks so much for sharing your time and your journey and being on the show, Mr. Thank you, sir. Trumpet Dynamics tells the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. It also tells my own story. Join me on this journey through the world of making music and making life at jamesnewcombontrumpet.com. I have blogs, videos, event calendar, and much more. And of course, if you just want to access this great podcast, just remember the URL trumpetdynamics.com, and you're off to the races. Looking forward to the next time. Be well.